disengage the safety protocols and strap yourself in. It's Vija, please. A hateful voyage to the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. It's it's less safety protocols and more disengaging the profanity filters. <laughs> uh, we live with those off. We, we, we straight up like strip those circuits out, mm-hmm. I think, right away. We are a Voyager review podcast, which means we watched an episode of Voyager this week. Peter, what did we watch? Season five, episode three, Extreme Risk. Uh, Hold on, that wasn't that was not '90s enough. If we're gonna if we're gonna do this, we have to. It's extreme risk. When I was Sorry, going into my notes, putting the title, and I almost put X hyphen Dream, and I was like, "Man, it's just it's built into the fucking DNA of like the Gen Xer, borderline millennial. Like that's that, that is a quintessential '90s title right there. I just you know." However extreme you were in the 90s, all I know is that it was not extreme enough. And there were more extreme things that you could be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the era of the ex- extreme games on e- like started on, on ESPN2, which is where all the extreme sports were. Mm-hmm. You know, and ugh, speaking of Lord. which, our uh, airing date on this episode is October 28th, 1998. It seems like we're moving slow. I feel like a lot of our conversations have referenced 97 for majority of the episodes that we have called out dates on. So us only sitting at 98 seems very limited. Um, I mean, the the, the show wrapped in 2001. So it was an absolute product of the late 90s. It just it just barely made its way into the 2000s. Yeah, Uh, that's that that. Enterprise was much more a child of television from the era that that followed. This is firmly in the 90s, even when it wasn't. This was a very was an interesting one. It was um, it was it hit all of the the tropes of the people associated with this. That's what I noticed more than anything else. We've already mentioned uh, that Brandon Braggall wants to to hit the dark side a little bit on everyone's characters. So that's absolutely what's happening here. Doing his rounds. Yep. Uh, we've got another, uh, a script written by the one and only Kenneth bewilder, uh, Kenneth Biller, who just, he just goes into some weird places, uh, with, uh, his script ideas. And this is, this is, uh, another example. He's got some real handsy scripts. I, that's the emerging, thing i can say about kenneth uh biller's scripts is it's it's heavy with one character putting their hands on another character and sweat he is a yeah. sweaty author he's a sweaty man yeah uh it's a balana episode so of course uh roxanne dawson for better or for worse is giving 150 percent at all times and i think uh this doesn't have anything to do with tropes uh, in, in regards to the main star or the director or the showrunner or the writer. But I would also subtitle this episode, Star Trek Voyager. Everyone went to the gym during the off season. Yep. <laughs> this was the episode where everyone wanted to show that they did a lot of pushups over the summer. And by God, they were getting that shit on TV. One of two things happened. Either 
they got everybody together after summer break or whenever the fuck they start recording. And they're all standing around like, man, you guys all look great. You know what? We're going to get some new uniform components and that's going to be Under Armour t-shirts and and tank tops. Or what's more likely the case, uh, they got everybody together at the end of season four. And we're like, these are the new Under Armour t-shirts and tank tops. <laughs> You better fucking fit in these things. I, I don't know what the proper way to threaten Voyager members, cast members with with the with the right or else there is. But I know uh, I know last season, late in the season, there were a couple fat jokes written in specifically uh, hostile towards Harry and uh, Tom uh, Garrett Wang and Robert Duncan McNeil. So uh, I think we know which of those two scenarios is the truthful one. But yes, it's it's the sweat and gun show. And, you know, props like freaking uh, uh, Roxanne Dawson had a kid the year prior, just like, belt, you know, just came out of the just uh, the gym like Captain America, like rebuilt Robert Duncan McNeil, just like. They they it feels like the sh- the scene with him with the Under Armour shirt was specifically like put in or he's like, can I have my uniform top off for of this? Because, man, I I did a lot of work on on I did a lot of chest pulls. I did. I've worked out my traps. I just I need I need that definition to show up somewhere. I uh, picked up like where how completely Do- unnecessary skin tight shirt yeah. uh, scene picked Perfect. up where Howdy Doody left off on his sweet lifts. Absolutely. Yeah. Like crewman howdy duty obviously got sucked out of a fucking airlock or got assimilated or something at some point. And he left all of his kettlebells everywhere. And Tom just started picking them all up. So this episode um, and I'm I'm feeling a theme for season five, like all of these episodes have a dark side to them, uh, both in terms of like the gravity of the material they're dealing with and like from a. Uh, a bird's eye level like there's the good part of the episode that I enjoyed watching and then there's all the bad shit that's sloppy writing inconsistent ramrodding and like your traditional Voyager crap that for the most part was absent for a lot of season four but it's just back with a vengeance in five Um, the episode starts off with uh, some fun in the holodeck and this is what was the last episode was fucking drone which is terrible uh, but Knight had some cool holodeck use. Uh, we see Balana, and she is in a suit that looks like kind of like armored. What, what What's the right kind of the D&D equivalent? No, that was I think that was Lamar uh, uh, armor scale mail. Yeah, scale mail. Yeah. yeah. It was with this super rad motorcycle helmet. Totally. That's what I had there. Totally <laughs> not a motorcycle. That was totally not a Kawasaki motorcycle helmet from 98. 100%. This is actually, you know, Federation issue Halo jump gear. Totally. A complete with a programmed in what's too high. You're going to get vaporized at this at this altitude uh, pilot. You know, it's just it's a uh, it's a simulation of Bolana skydiving. And she she takes the safety measures off and we can talk for a second if you'd like about the physics. I'd love to. That's what I'm here for. (laughs) So so 
okay. This is this is this definitely goes to a place where I I don't quite understand. Let's. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. Why does this? Why does the hollow deck allow for you to take the safety me- uh, measures off? I let's start there. Why is that a thing? Because you are the chief engineer, and by God, if there is anybody in this ship that should be able to circumvent safety systems, it should be the chief engineer. And you know, we'll get in later. Like, how was she able to run the safeties off? to the extreme degree she does without raising any red flags and senior bridge staff deal with it. This, it, it feels like this should probably almost never be possible except for like diagnostic reasons or something. And it should be something that like multiple people have to give a sign off on because you're turning the holodeck into what you have affectionately called the danger room. When you do that, and it's like, okay, so we're going to have this holodegraphic technology that recreates matter and recreates these scenarios in exacting detail to the point where it feels extremely real. And then you're going to say, I, I want it to feel so extremely real that it can actually hurt things and blow things up and actually cause problems. And again, this is a ship where the safeties were taken off on a World War II simulation and they actually used holographic bombs to blow pieces of the ship apart. So why the fuck? Why in the actual fuck would any starship come with the option for people to be able to turn the safeties off? Because like, imagine fucking imagine this. I'm sorry. I just I'm not. I, I, I imagine this. You are cruising along in your state of the art Federation starship. Just floating around in the in the ether. You're 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 fucking solving space crimes. You're delivering VIPs and all of that. And then Ensign Buttfuck Jabroni asshole decides that he wants to run his simulation, some World War II scenario with the safeties off. And then uh you know a loose holographic grenade blows up an EPS conduit and and you drop out of warp and suddenly you're in the middle of a nest of Klingons and, and it's mating season and it's real bad. Like what? Why would you ever allow that? Because, Joe, the last thing you want, okay, imagine this. You're chilling out and uh, Borg are attacking Earth and you got to travel back in time. And now Borg are on your starship and you got a Tommy gun and you got to kill some drone. Okay? <laughs> the last thing anybody wants is some fucking two factor lockout tag out event to like ruin the parade of just being able to go Chicago typewriter on those motherfuckers. Um the the more important yes it's it's silly how many times in next gen did we ever see them disengage safeties i i feel like it was significantly less than what we've seen out of voyager so far i like purposefully disengage safeties for reasons i can't remember i mean they get disengaged as part of like holographic terror you know time fuck ups yeah fuck ups there's fuck ups but like purposefully turning them off for a plot reason. Like, I feel like the only time that was actually ever done is in first contact when he uses the Tommy gun to fuck up the drones. That's it. We're going to spend a little bit of time in this conversation because it's kind of the cornerstone of this episode. Uh, Going back to the Herogen arc um, killing game when there was the explosion, because that was my question in this she turns off the safeties and the holographic ensign flying the shuttle at high altitude says uh be careful sir 
you, uh, jumping from this, you are going to get thermalized, whatever the fuck that means. So are we led to believe that the atmosphere just outside the shuttlecraft is like super hot or otherwise like dangerous? If, if you have like a holographic simulation, like make the surface of the sun now turn the safeties off. Can you just melt the walls with the, with the ambient heat? Um, the holodeck the, is different on Voyager than it is on the Enterprise D where you've got this grid sticking off the wall. So I think it would be safe to say that because the grid sticks off the wall, that there's no contact possible between any holographic objects and the physical wall of the holodeck, uh, which we are shown again in the killing game. That doesn't really matter if there's an explosion, but it gets into this whole rabbit hole of like, if you've got chemical reactions taking place and legitimate explosions, it's not just force fields compressing air for a concussed effect. Like if there's real chemical reactions happening, that's not really holograms at that point. That's like replicators replicating gunpowder or whatever. It's cool. I get it, but it turns into sloppy continuity. I think the CGI jump sequence looks whack, but I wouldn't say it looks out of place for 1998 sci-fi TV. Uh, And at the end of the day, I get what they're doing. It's Balana living fast and loose, and there is a very potentially dangerous technology that she is willfully abusing, and it fits for the story. So um, I agree with you that it does become a large plot hole that something so dangerous to the point where you could, specifically on Voyager, really fuck it up. As as we have already seen in the killing game, that there is zero accountability for invoking this dangerous situation as many times as she has. But I, I really like the scene where she finally jumps out of the shuttle. She's flying. She seems to be having a good time. And then Chakotay is like, get to work. And she has to pause the simulation and uh, go to work wearing her silly, uh, what would you call it, scale mail? Yes, her scale mail with her uh, motorcycle helmet. Um, the uh, the trip up the hallway to go get to engineering, she encounters Seven of Nine, who starts giving her a hard time about what she's wearing. And this is where we start to see... <laughs> Which is like... <laughs> what a lack of... Like, talk about a lack of self-awareness. What the fuck are you wearing? What the, have you looked in the mirror? You're wearing a skin tight maroon uh, cat suit. One hundred percent. My thought when like we've now had an entire episode of Seven of Nine. We've discussed what she wears at length. Yet seeing her standing there next to Blana Torres in in feudal scale mail, and there's Seven of Nine in the same futuristic environment, wearing basically uh, nothing. And it just it was such a stark contrast. It's like she still looks fucking ridiculous. It is ridiculous. She is not (laughs) in a standard uniform. I know that Kess didn't wear one. I know Neelix doesn't wear one. But if all the fucking space maquis terrorists are in uniforms, there's no reason why your Borg isn't. And like how distracting again, just to co-workers to this is exactly where my butt is. And this is my camel toe. And here's. (laughs) 
you 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 don't need a uh, tricorder to measure this camel toe. It is you visual. You can make visual contact. Like Janeway should be like, you know what? You're gonna be the one wearing a fucking high dive orbital skydiving suit. Not not the chief engineer, but um, we very quickly see that things are very wrong with uh, Bellana Torres. She kind of hazily stumbles through seven of nines uh, insult. Uh, there is a probe, which is my biggest problem with the episode that they're going to be launching. There's zero history on this probe. I don't believe they reference it at all anywhere else in season five. And uh, Belana's like, yeah, you can go ahead and take that over. And Seven's like, are you sure? Because you would, haven't really seemed to trust me with anything before. And Belana's like, yeah, I'm sick. I got to go. <laughs> the I did like the. uh reaction of seven of nine of like wait a second you're putting me in charge like what like it was a clue that something seemed to be wrong to her of like you don't you don't like me why would you do this this will be the first entry into everybody is confronted with irrefutable evidence that Bellana Taurus is fucked up yet nobody gives enough of a damn to actually do anything about it until the very last minute um the 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 probe itself while they don't you're correct they don't talk a lot about like where it came from what its purpose is in terms of like here is a briefing scene that explains why this macguffin is important they talk about it having like board technology it's clearly something they seem to have like improved using what they've uh, accumulated um I agree that it needed a, just a more to flesh out why it was so important because the whole episode's going to hinge on them having to get this probe back. They they get into a, a fucking, uh, you know, playground slap fight with a goddamn garbage men again over it, which like <laughs> I can't wait to fuck, talk about that. <laughs> you know, just can't fucking beat these garbage trucks, man. They're just fucking outclassing the Federation hot rod left, right and center. So the, Borg improvements and all the this probe's a real big fucking deal, right? This probe is ultimately worth the lives of your chief engineer, your helmsman, uh, your ops manager, and uh, who else was in there? I'm surprised a doctor wasn't uh, in there too while he was at it. Seven of, seven of nine oh, uh, was also in there. You throw all of their lives on the line at the drop of a hat over this. Like there needed to be real stakes in this. There needed to be people stuck on the probe. There needed to be lives on the line because just saying, okay, here we've got a probe. And for whatever fucking reason, it's hours away from us. We've got all this super delicate technology on it, but we're okay with it being far. Like it's just a silly concept. And for them to build the stakes that they do off of it, does not feel good at all. The The situation is the probe goes out. The The space garbage men find it. They give it a bunch of commands to like run away from the space garbage men. And that goes into the uh, atmosphere of a gas giant. And so you have this contrived situation where it's the garbage truck versus Voyager to try and find a way to get this out. So also that I think uh, Kate Mulgrew could look into the middle distance and say, we got ourselves a good old fashioned space race. Uh, it's dumb as hell. It's stupid. And the far more compelling part of this episode is the B plot of Bolana's psychosis. 
the garbage men you're referencing are the Malorn, which we encountered in night. I was very happy to see them return. I thought there would be some genuine good storytelling going on. Instead, the Malorn are reprising their role as two-dimensional uh, Captain Planet villains. They are like straight. They're even more Captain Planet villainy than before. Like Chakotay cracks wise, but I bet they're just trying to use our technology to find more places to dump our trash. Like Jesus. <laughs> this episode. The more we talk about it, the more I'm quickly finding that I actually hate this episode. Uh, the Malorn pick this scab that uh, has not quite healed yet from the end of night, where not only did Voyager basically murder civilians for for no real good reason uh which they will once again do in this one uh but it's clear that there was no effort on behalf of uh voyager to to follow through and actually fix the problem that they take such stark offense to and that is of course the fact that the malorn have a dirty power uh industry that hamstrings their entire culture, right? Voyager could have gone to the Malorn homeworld and said, hey, listen, you guys are living in toxic waste, and here's our super science that could completely change the way you live and and clean up everything. And instead of being filthy people who are covered in boils and, and nuclear waste scars, you could join the rest of us in the Enlightened Tomorrow. And in the process, we're going to collapse your garbage hauling industry, but Everything we've seen has indicated that the 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 public at large of the Malorn would be very happy to have this technology. So no, they didn't they didn't try to fix any of that problem. They didn't apologize for collapsing a fucking celestial wormhole. There was no fucks to give about the fact they basically murdered nine people on a garbage ship, which the first time we encountered the Malorn, the garbage ship was way more powerful than Voyager. This time they seem about even, if not a little weaker than voyager and like you said this probe that's important for some goddamn reason which they can control remotely uh rather than just self-destructing and saying okay well now we know the technology won't fall into people's hands they're like send it in an endangered situation and people will follow it those people will die because instead of us just blowing up our technology that there's no real life on there's there's no stakes to us needing to keep this thing whole we're just content to say, hey, listen, you know, we dangled our super science in front of primitives and and watched and laughed as they fell off a cliff to try and get it. Uh, only to repeat the the whole process later on, endangering more lives like. What could be an interesting alien species is just an infuriating story about how Catherine Janeway is a bitch and a murderer. <laughs> Oh, man, you have such a talent for uh, putting an exclamation point on it. Like, I just kind of rolled my eyes at it. I didn't give it too much thought as to say, oh, they didn't have a good idea for these guys, right? Like, I didn't even consider the options anymore. It They they needed a, a bad guy. They already bought all of this makeup and all of these costumes and they built that kind of like grunge set for the for the view screen, right? Yeah. They've they've done all of that. So uh, okay, well we need an antagonist for this episode. We don't want to spend any extra money because we want to save that for later on in the season. So 
uh, we're going to reuse the garbage men and they're just going to be just as stinky and smelly and awful. It's and we're going to show as little of them as possible, but we've already established them in a prior episode of just being jerks. So they can just be the jerks here. It's just, you know, it's such lazy storytelling void. I yeah, think one is. of the strongest things about Voyager has been where they've chosen to be bold and different and break away from next generation storytelling. You know, it's, it's the Skeevians all over again. You've got these guys with so much potential that could be very compelling uh, villains. Right. And when I say villains, it's ultimately villains, but somewhat uh, relatable. The Vidians were excellent. The Kazons, somehow they salvaged the Kmart Klingons and turned them into something interesting by fleshing them out. But these guys wear, you know, it's just blue collar guys uh, they just turn into these two-dimensional clowns who are there to die and and Voyager to sit back, point, and laugh. And if that's the influence of Bran Braga instead of Jerry Taylor, like it's, I don't enjoy that thoughtless, shallow story element, man. What is not shallow in the episode is the B plot, which is the. Um, Bolana Torres saga. I think I don't know what it is about um, Roxanne Dawson as an actress that all of these episodes that focus on her, she like just goes for it, right? Whether it's it's faces, where it's kind of a miss, uh, whether it's blood fever, which is just weird but more interesting, or if it's. Uh, uh, the episode where she's getting like dreams of the Nazis that wiped out the gypsies on their planet, which is, I think, which is better received for by both of us. She's always like in it to win it. And she really tries hard in this episode to portray somebody that is suffering from a deep level of psychological trauma over what we'll find out is. Uh, the death of all of her comrades uh, in the Maquis, something that occurred, she found out occurred last season, late in season four, and has evidently been trying to cope with since. And I will get all the credit to her for, I think the best scene in the episode that kind of tells that story is when she goes to talk to Neelix and it's just completely off the entire time was clearly trying to do it just to sort of like get herself out of what she was feeling, but just failed. And that isn't a conversation that happens on screen. It's something that you see portrayed in her being distant and kind of out of it. And, Oh, I want to try this food really, really loved, but I didn't feel anything for that. I tried to small talk. Nothing happened there. Uh, my only complaint is that everything is very tidy and obviously the topic they're talking about is in no way tidy, but it is network television. And that's kind of like the format they have to deal with. But she does a great job, I think, as an actress trying to work with what she was given. Yeah. The Memory Alpha entry says that a big part of the genesis of this episode came as the result of a dinner that uh, Bran Brana and uh, some of the other showrunners and, and they had dinner with uh Roxanne Dawson and she kind of said hey you know what do you think about exploring some of the trauma that very clearly we saw the the blueprints for back in I believe it was Hunters and that was when um, 
the Starfleet message was received and Chakotay finds out that uh, the Dominion has wiped out all the Maquis and there was a very explosive performance out of Roxanne Dawson, uh, out of uh, Belana Torres on discovering this. And it is absolutely one of the the right elements to go back in time and say, we need to flesh this out. There's some real meat on the bone and, and we can tell a good story here. Uh, so clearly she had strong personal investment with this. And, and I'll agree, you know, this is a very deep subject that perhaps isn't best suited to a 45 minute. Uh, I don't know if we want to say it's a bottle episode, but you know, a network television show that is a beginning and middle and an end. Um, but it is brand brand like brand brand theme for season five apparently is like it's time for everybody's past to catch up with him. And Janeway has certainly already had her her deliverance. And now it's Roxanne Dawson's turn. And it's good. Like you said, it's it's the interesting part of this episode and seeing how she interacts with different elements from her normal day to day life is uh is interesting and shame on everybody involved. The real story in this episode is the fact that Tom Paris continues to be the fucking worst boyfriend possible. Yes. I, I, I don't know why the fuck they wrote him like this. His side plot is the creation of the Delta flyer, which is uh, going to be an ongoing, uh, sort of, uh, plot device for the rest of the show is the creation and the use of the Delta flyer as a sort of capable auxiliary craft, which is an interesting idea in all of itself and and that, you know, Voyager would start to build their own shuttlecraft based on the fact that their existing ones are fucking death carts, as you've put. Mm. And uh, instead of helping his girlfriend go through her clear depression and be supportive and and loving and uh, a good partner – uh, there's one scene where he seems to give a fuck, and then the rest of the time he's just all in on making his fucking hot rod. Literally, we had an episode, the last Tom-focused episode, where he he brought in Bolana to his garage where he was tinkering with his holographic hot rod because he wanted her to be part of everything in his life. And then I guess like the writers just kind of forgot about that character development a little bit. This little little forgetfulness. All of my complaining about the Malorn and their mistreatment uh, takes a second place to uh, the Tom and the the Tom Lana plotline being the worst part of this episode. I don't get how this happens. I like Robert Duncan McNeil. I like Roxanne Dawson. I think they're both great actors. I like Tom Paris's character. I like Bolana Torres's character. I like everything that's in this, but you put these elements together and instead of like sugar and flour somehow turning into cookies, it's like broken glass (laughs) in a Visine bottle. It's so fucking painful to touch my eyes. How does this happen, man? Like I, I don't get, what the underlying problem here it's it's the fucking writing it's it's tom's writing yeah. it's just two people who would seem completely miserable together and i think instead of it being a episode about depression it should be about i don't know like an emotionally abusive relationship or like uh, emotional unavailability I, I don't know the, the real story here is like these people should not be together like they are and night they were fighting like cats and dogs like this is a toxic relationship you guys need to fucking escape like 
don't become the next Kiko Miles O'Brien misery train, but <laughs> man, wait until we watch DS nine. That shit gets so much worse. Uh, I'm I'm sure. Um, I, 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 I want to, you know, sometimes actors just don't have a ton of, you know, charisma with each other. They don't have that chemistry. I don't think and they could I don't know if they maybe they just they can't find the line to just, you know, you know, the line's not there to it's, capture it. Yeah. Like they just can't find it. It's it's not the line not being there. It's just the fucking script is terrible. There's no way for anybody to be in these scenes saying the things that they have to say uh, and, and able to do it. That's it's just it's bad writing and they are victims of the script. Uh, the Delta Flyer is i think the real story they're trying to tell in this uh yeah there's like the balana character development stuff is a strong b plot but it's it's very clear that they want you to care about this delta flyer thing uh we've joked about the absence of uh or how many shuttlecraft voyagers lost there's a real stupid scene in the briefing room i notice that there's not enough chairs to go around so like seven and nine just has to stand <laughs> uh they're waiting for Belanda Shope, who clearly does not give a shit about her job anymore. And they start talking about this probe, like, we need to get it. Uh, this gas giant's real dangerous. Nobody seems to care that we've already caused nine people to, you know, die by going in looking for Federation goodies. Nobody wants to talk about just blowing the goddamn probe up. Uh, you know, we can't bring Voyager in there. We can't get uh, tractor beams or transporters. And then Tom's like, well, let's let's build a shuttle. And they're like, no, Tom, we can't. He's like, oh, but yes, we can, because I've already, you know, I'm a fucking helmsman and also the nurse and also a fucking ship designer. And my best friend, (laughs) Harry Kim, who gets uh, second place for being a dickhead this episode, is just like openly mocking me during this uh, briefing we're having. Which I think really flies in the face of the Harry Kim character, right? Like, we know that in another life, Harry Kim is a shipbuilder, right? Non sequitur, he did not go on Voyager. He did not end up in the Delta Quadrant. Instead, he works for Starfleet Command designing the next generation of runabouts. So this is like right in his wheelhouse. For him to so shittily dismiss everything that Tom's trying to do is a real regression in their their bromance, I think, and uh, a true disservice. But uh, Chakotay's like, listen, Tom, you know, I know you want to have this thing, but uh, we don't have the time to design and build a shuttlecraft from scratch. And it's like, really, isn't that like exactly what Voyager has time to do? Like you got 50 years to get home. If it's not picking up pet projects and running with it, I, I don't know what it is. But Tom lays the designs on. He's like, oh, this is so great. And they decide that they're going to build this again. It is more feasible for them to build a shuttlecraft from scratch in under a week and then put bridge crew members on it in a suicide run to pick this probe up. Like that's how fucking important this probe is. Not that it's ever communicated clearly to the audience. No. And I, it's, it's so awkward. I guess it's the word I would describe it, how they shoehorn that scene in. Like they, there seemed to be like two or three episodes of buildup that they intended to do. Uh, but then they, you know, they because they built the set, they obviously kind of knew they were going to do this, right? 
so they're like, we got to like set this up somehow. And instead of having like a, a, a scene in a prior episode where Tom's like talking with Harry about it that establishes like how Harry's heard about it, you know, or some dialogue to establish that, you know, they some passion and design that he has that has been brought around and he's applying it to this or, you know, all we've gotten is one line of dialogue of wouldn't it be nice if we had something better than a type two shuttlecraft. And then literally the next week, Right. The next week, uh, Tom has designed a revolutionary new secondary craft that can just make with spare parts and shit that they can replicate. Like, good idea to make the Delta Flyer. Mm-hmm. Terrible implementation. Yeah, uh, it, it was it was a ramrod. I mean, it was a classic uh, Voyager ramrod. This should have been a top-down directive from uh, Janeway saying, listen, we got time on our hands. We've got special needs. Let's let's try and do something better. And instead, it's like, there's a probe, and it's stuck in the mud. Let's make a shuttlecraft. <laughs> Get it, boys! And it's so exciting okay. that nobody is going to notice that uh, Bellana, that your chief engineer is either A, on drugs, <laughs> <laughs> which I really think should have been like, you know, everybody's concerned, like, man, she is usually so feisty and passionate about engineering and cheeky, and she is just in a fucking haze with her eyes, like, sunk in her head, like, I think she's addicted to uh, Jet <laughs> <laughs> whatever fucking drugs they're doing in the future, man. Um, Or, you know, and, and here's the old joke, but it's, it's an oldie, but it's a goodie. You know, Belana's under some alien influence and something is fucking with her. Maybe it's interphasic elves jamming butter knives in her eye sockets, experimenting on her again, like maybe flying through the binary start and get us away from those assholes. And they're still trying to do like animal testing for lipstick or whatever. (laughs) <laughs> from was that waking or the waking moments it was scientific method that's correct or hey here's blana acting like super uncharacteristic i wonder if we've got like an alien doppelganger and the real blana's off on a hell planet getting her face cut off or whatever the bad guys are doing this week and this is just like some oatmeal body double going through the paces so it it, it paints the crew in such a terrible light, both in their what I would call bullying of the Malorn um, and in their complete uh, lack of shits to give about. Bellana Torres all in the name of building a new fancy shuttlecraft. So. Whatever. The plot to make the Delta Flyer goes on, there's, you know, Tom wants to make it a hot rod. He gets a bunch of like bullshit from his Captain Proton stuff on there. Jesus. His dialogue with Tuvok about like Tuvok's like, why the fuck did you do this? And he's like, because I wanted to. And fuck you, boss. Uh, that all happens, whatever. What, uh, the event. Had they made the like, you know, and and I get what he's saying. Like, I'm tired of tapping the L cars display. I want something physical. I want feedback. Sure. Had they give him like a cool CH flight stick or, you know, some SciTech joystick controller? Okay, but like it 
he's got like these switches on the shuttlecraft and it looks like someone took uh the toilet paper tube after all the paper was gone and wrapped it in tin foil and put a clown nose on it and like that's a set piece now it it definitely does appear to be in no way shape or form practical right like that's the bottom line like what the actual fuck is this it does appear to be a second grade classes arts and crafts project culmination of a week of very hard work among second graders the the lot of stuff continues to develop it and the the trajectory it takes is you see her do the sky jump in the opener and then she gets kind of like i I think it's after she uh, gets frustrated talking with neelix or no, it was after they're designing uh, stuff in the other holodeck as far as the um, uh, like the design of the ship goes and one to put like fucking spoilers on it and bullshit like that. Like some hilljack trying to ruin your Nissan. And she goes to another holodeck and her second like dangerous thing that she decides to do is literally a Cardassian murder simulator. It's like literally caves where Cardassians come out and then she just beats them to death and then another one comes out and she beats that next one to death too. Is it's just like a, a racist fantasy simulation. <laughs> it's literally her murder simulator. Like it, it is her like I want to kill Cardassians. I don't have any here. So I will create fake Cardassians and murder them. Like That is what is happening. If it was... Uh, I- I, I don't know who, you know, to, to put in the bad guy role there, but if it was a, a holodeck simulation where, like, you go in a cave and just black dudes start coming at you and you're just. <laughs> I mean, that's basically as bad as this is. Right. And I know that Miles, you know, to pull Miles O'Brien back out in the spotlight is uh, an example. I You know, he's cited as one of the, you know, the more racist characters in Star Trek. But like, mm-hmm. that's. You know, that's that's the core. And that's something we joke about a lot that these Maquis people were not nice guys. You know, that a lot of these guys had serious baggage. They did some fucking raw, heinous shit. Belana Tours, especially as we found out in Dreadnought when she was going to, you know, shoot a super nuke and destroy a, a Cardassian planet. Like these people are not nice. They murdered for whatever the level of gratification it was and and that's stuff that still haunts us so when you get an episode like nemesis where chakotay's acting like you know he's never been around a a blood war before it just seems so silly uh or you know balana is giving seven of nine a hard time about assimilation when there she is still uh indulging in uh wanton violence and murder towards cardassian so yeah she gets into it uh, she fights him. It looks like she's there for a couple hours. Eventually, she stumbles back to her uh, quarters, and we get our second Blana Taurus bathroom adventure for the season. That's yes, two and three episodes. <clears throat> and we, that is correct. And we find out that she does have a drug addiction. Only it's like a dermal regenerator addiction, and she keeps it hidden in a towel by her bathtub and starts fixing herself and then has this little moment where she looks in the mirror like a drug addict, like it's gone too far. I need to put the regenerator down. 
you know, she's trying to obviously hide, you know, the depth of her reveling in these dangerous you know, things that she's doing. I, I get what they were attempting to establish with that. I, I did like that they built that up before explaining it later. You know, like yeah. they showed her, you know, doing the dermal regenerator stuff on herself that she's trying to hide, that she's having this, this, this stuff happen. And then later on, because she ends up getting hauled off to sick bay because of one of these things. The third thing she does is she goes in and she turns the safety uh, safeties off while testing the Delta flyer. Cause there's like an argument that um, I want to say, uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's Tuvok and Tom Paris have about micro fractures in the hall. And she goes and purposely turns the safeties off while testing to see if the micro fractures would actually like shatter the ship. Clearly, you know, not caring if she endangers herself or not. And uh, that's when she finally gets, ca- you know, found out. And then they kind of like list stuff like, hey, what's happening? Uh, by the way, we found out about all this stuff. So uh, maybe you could tell us about that. I thought that was I thought that was interesting. No, her stuff's all good. And, you know, this could have very easily just been a a for real substance abuse episode. It could have been her drinking and trying to, like, hide it and being a high functioning alcoholic until it slowly falls apart. Only instead, it's this. I don't know. Would you call it the later on? She has her scene with Chakotay, which I think is an excellent scene and was my favorite scene for the episode where she Agreed. really starts to flesh out why she's hurting herself. And it's not a self-annihilation impulse. She's not suicidal. You know, she says, I'm, I, I feel emotionally numb. I don't care about anything. And it's only when my life is in danger or I'm being hurt that I feel something. And that's, that's what I'm focusing on. I don't think that paradigm really holds up, uh, to the scrutiny of what some of her actions actually do in the episode. But, um, everything leading up to it is, is good and yeah her little scene in the bathroom there is uh is a nice precursor for that meanwhile in the a plot voyagers in <laughs> orbit over this gas giant one of the malorn garbage trucks and you know to to be clear that's exactly what these fucking things are right they are blimps full of theta radiation that they have like their garbage scows that have come from the malorn system out into the depths of space to vent their crap all over the place and dump their waste somewhere far away from their planet. So these bad guys that are foiling Voyager are just dudes in a garbage truck. They're not warships, even though the first time we encountered them, they kicked the shit out of Voyager. Voyager is now responsible for two of these vessels being destroyed. So when like there's this competition like, gosh, we don't know how to get rid of these guys. We're going to do the space race. It's going to be this cockamamie thing. where We're going to build a shuttle in a week and try and race down and get this probe. That's important for some fucking reason, even though it's completely not established like that. Like the fact that Janeway isn't just like shoot these guys with phasers until they go away, because clearly we've shifted their power. <laughs> like it's so silly. Like, you could please shoot these motherfuckers until they leave us the fuck alone again like her negligence in this matter like if she had just started openly attacking them until they flew away you're still going to have the negative perception that they already have and maybe in the process you're going to save some lives because instead of them 
getting into this dangerous gas giant and endangering more of their lives, you know, uh, the good guy Federation people would be discouraging them, scaring away for their own good. But they don't do that. They get in this silly little space race, like we mentioned, the uh, two dimensional Malorn start getting cheeky and venting radiation that hurts Voyager shields. And later on, they'll like begin shooting them with like the same spatial charges that fucking rocked them two episodes ago. Uh, eventually the shuttles get in the air, like the shuttles get in basically a dog fight. So it's like there's hostility, there's gunfire. Why, why not just be decisive about it instead of jerking everybody around? It's silly. It's dumb. Whatever. Uh, they would have been done with the Delta Flyer shuttle way ahead of schedule if Balana's head was in the game. But she does not give a shit. She, like you said, finally they they figure out because um, she runs this simulation for the microfracture thing. The shuttle craft rocks. She busts her head on the console and is in like a coma for 12 hours. Janeway kind of confronts her. She lies and refuses to acknowledge what's going on. Janeway basically relieves her duty uh, to which she says, good, I don't care. And that's a pretty potent thing there. And then there's this scene between Janeway, Chakotay and Tom, like everybody who cares about Bellana Taurus in the room is in the Absolutely. room. And, you know, it's just it's a real chance for Tom to stunt and look like a fucking fool. Like, oh, I don't know. She barely talks to me. And, you know, Chakotay, you're her basically her best friend and occasional, you know, uh, wet dream. <laughs> <laughs> occasional, very awkward wet dream. And, and, you know, again, just to really paint everybody in a terrible light, like. Everybody saw how uncharacteristic she looked in the brief room. So everyone from Janeway down to Neelix. Know something has wrong. seen it. Yeah, Nobody's, everyone has seen it. Nobody's tried to do anything, whatever. Like, well, we could go through her personal logs and see what's going on. Uh, I do like the establishment of 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 world building in this scene where they talk about digging through people's holodeck records is taboo. Yeah, that it's is very not okay. Yeah, they make that clear. Um, and. You know, after we saw what Reginald Barkley gets up to, rightfully so, you're you know you're not going to like what you see when you do this kind of stuff. And we've talked about, you know, is it okay to have uh, representations of your friends or crewmates? Uh, it's there's there's a lot of wild what if stuff with these holodecks. But ultimately, because of the severity of how bad Bellana seemed to be fucked up, they say we're going to start cruising through some of these and. Um, Instead of it being Tom reaching out to kind of begin this healing, or you know, trying to really start a therapy regimen here, uh, it's Chakotay. He goes to visit Torres in her quarters and start not confronting, but exploring what's going on. And this is a very strong spot to use Chakotay. He has the... He has the mentorship over Balana as the person who brought her into the Maquis. He is a forming former commanding officer. Uh, he is her confidant. He's her friend. And he has already begun to establish himself as kind of this, not a counselor, but that, 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 uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Clergy, uh, the, the chaplain. Uh, I almost. think it, 
uh, you know, he's he's definitely like the most spiritual member of the crew. I think that's just flat out correct to say. Uh, then that factors into him being a counselor type of figure. He's he's definitely Balana's rabbi, I guess would be the word to describe it in like law enforcement terms. You know, like is the person that, you know, like you said, brought her in and is really kind of responsible for her in a large, large sense. And so it makes a lot of sense that he's the person trying to connect with her, particularly on this issue, as we find out it's related to all these Maquis people dying. And I don't mind the choice to make him that the person in this case. You know what I mean? I think in addition to Uh, the most religious, I think it's fair to say that short of Neelix, he's probably the most compassionate person in the crew. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. He is the person who reached out to Neelix when Neelix was having his uh, crisis of faith. And it's interesting to see someone, you know, a male lead like this in that that softer compassionate role but it's good i mean i i really appreciated that they used him effectively in that sense and not just the fact that he starts off soft because he you know he plays a game with her it's like oh you know let's go uh why don't you go show me these holodex sims you say that they're not a big deal and it's just you know you having some fun go ahead and show me Cause I'm on your side. And if I see it, then I can tell Janeway, Hey, everything's fine. And she'll get off your case. And then she has to start backtracking because she knows what she's doing is dirty. And now she's scared. Yeah. And I like the way that he doesn't let go and pursues it firmly and kind of drags her down this thing. It's almost like a parent taking a little kid being like, Oh, you, you ate all of your uh, chicken sandwich. You're telling me you didn't chew up your chicken sandwich and spit it in the potted plant over there? Well, I believe you, but let's just go look and see just in case. And the kid like, oh, shit, there's fucking chicken nuggets spit up all over that bitch. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I'm going to get caught. I'm, oh, I shouldn't have lied. I love it when <sighs> she goes to like try and like quickly change the programming on the door. Like he cuts her off. And then you see this real stark change from like compassionate, like ship's chaplain Chakotay to... And and I love this dynamic when we get to see it. And we haven't seen it since uh, he busted Dobie in the mouth. But it's like Chakotay takes like, okay, we're going behind closed doors where Starfleet can't see. And I'm your fucking Maquis boss. And I'm not putting up with this <laughs> shit. And he just yeah, fucking I, grabs her. And he's like, no, we're going to go. I, I know what's in there. I've, I've already been in here. We're going to go see. And you're going to show me. And she tries. You're gonna fucking explain this shit to me. He drags her down into her uh, Cardassian murder racist fantasy cave, (laughs) (laughs) and we see a bunch of hobo softball, you know, Sandlot players laying dead in the dirt, and we find out that this is their old Maquis cell, and that Bolana had basically made a simulation of Cardassians killing all of her friends right after Chakotay had told her back in Hunters that uh, they all got wiped out, that she had initially ran the simulation for 45 seconds before abandoning it. And and it's like she had tried to start her grieving process and aborted it. And it is instead festered into this very dangerous, harmful, metastasized tumor that has been eating her away. And there's this forced confrontation and it works out really well. Yeah, it 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 works out to the you know, and this is where I have a little bit of criticism, like depression, real depression is not 
so clean, you know, like um, it's it doesn't th- things don't work out quite so perfectly uh, that like, you know, she overcomes her depression by, you know, she she manages to, uh, you know, understand that she just needs to like really appreciate her family on this ship, just like Chakotay said, and then like comes through for the crew and all this other stuff. Right. Like MacGyver's a phaser and. and- yeah, MacGyver's a phaser and a cool scene in Delta Flyer, admittedly. That was cool. I thought that was really neat. Um Yeah, it 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 rarely it rarely works out so cleanly, but in this case it does. You know, and you know, she essentially gets a little better by the end of it as a consequence. And, and they get the probe and they fuck up the space garbage men who fucking cares yeah they leave them to die and laugh about the fact they're gonna be stuck there the the balana stuff specifically oh i like the way that chakotay brings it up and you know it's it's the 11th hour like okay the malorn have launched their science that their their submarine and they're gonna get our probe that for some fucking reason matters and janeway makes a call to send these guys on a suicide mission, but we needed an extra pair of hands. And even though Vork, who has several lines <laughs> in this episode, engineer Vork, the accomplished engineer Vork, who is a Vulcan, as we know, is Superman and very good at surviving in demanding conditions. Uh, Chakotay is going to be a better engineering option for that. Belana cuts him off in the hallway and says, no, you need MacGyver. You need me. You don't know if you're gonna have to build a fucking phaser out of, toothpicks in a paper clip please let me take the lunchbox <laughs> the engineering lunch pack <laughs> out of your hand you um, can do it believe in me and uh, she goes and you know Stella gets her groove back whatever uh, you know to be fair Joe you don't know Klingon psychology you're not a Klingon psychologist for all you know Klingon depression does just need a, a real life threatening event and, and maybe that you know what what we think is uh, a too neat of an episode to to wrap up her mental illnesses, you know, legit for for Klingon. It is legit for this episode of Star Trek. I I mean, like, it's a minor com- complaint as far as like, oh, it doesn't really work that way in the real world. Well, yeah, well, warp drive doesn't either. <laughs> I get it. We're watching we're watching fucking television, and I I can certainly accept it on that basis. No problem. How big is this probe? That's that's the other goofy thing there because the the Delta flyer like. Would you say the Delta Flyer is bigger or smaller than a runabout? Uh, it is definitely supposed to be like competitively sized with with uh, like a larger shuttlecraft, but it's smaller than a runabout. You know, like it's more com- it seems more compressed, more compact. It's a hot rod. They make that point. It's a hot rod. It's a hot rod. It's a hot rod. And yeah, I, I take them at their word at that. What's the old? shuttlecraft that had the big overbite they used them heavy in the first two seasons of uh next gen i think that was like the biggest type eight maybe uh because they they actually find the probe and that probe i couldn't help but notice that that probe was like a dead ringer for the spaceship that darth maul has in phantom menace (laughs) did you notice that Yeah, it's 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 a it does share a somewhat similar profile. I always liked that starship though. It was like had yeah, that sort cool. of tie influence. Ma- it was it was fucking dope. Maybe that's why they wanted to get this thing back so bad. They're like, fuck, man, that's our Darth Maul probe. We need that thing back. It's got his <laughs> legs got on there. He needs his legs back. Um, 
they transport the probe onto the Delta flyer and then bring that back. And so, uh, you know, it's, they wanted a story that is a reason why they have the Delta flyer and they wanted to explore a darker part of Bellana Taurus. The exploration of Bellana Taurus is excellent. The reasoning from top to bottom for building the Delta flyer is fucking absurd. Um, <laughs> again, there's, there's open conflict yeah. between them and the Malorn. Janeway could have ended this thing with just a few phaser blasts instead of the silly space race. I would say it's, criminally negligent at this point for Janeway not to fly to the Maloran homeworld and be like, hey, here's this fucking technology, quippy and dickheads. I, I doubt we're going to do that. I thought I was going to be happy to see the Maloran making a return. I was absolutely the opposite of that. Um, Tom is a piece of shit. Harry is a piece of shit. And uh, Chakotay's that emotional friend you never knew you needed. So... There's cool stuff here. Right. There's, I, I, there's, there is there it. There is cool stuff in this episode. It is almost entirely based on Roxanne Dawson, as usual, giving it all when she gets the chance. And then a uh, surprising, I guess we should stop saying surprising MVP performance by Chakotay because he has come around from being substitute teacher Chakotay to being probably one of the better supporting characters on the show. I really like him now. And this was another good scene where he, they used him well. They used his position. Well, they used his history with Bolana Well, and as stupid as the main, like sci-fi plot of this episode is, and as lazy as you've put it, uh, was as far as the writing in the end, an episode that gives me that much character growth and that much like meat on the bone when it comes to understanding these characters, these people that we're taking this journey with. Yeah. Uh, I can't be mad at it. You know, I can't be mad at it at all. I want to criticize Neelix though. Like I was expecting a lot more out of the Neelix scene. Like it was clear. The intention there was yeah, to but, show that Bellana was broken, but like Neelix is usually proven himself did, to be did like, this, did this episode were just, did the episode just need basically a moment where everyone kind of came together at the same time and was like, uh, what's going on with Bolana? <laughs> like where like everyone has these experiences and they all kind of all come together and be like, we're all her friends and we've all established that there's something fucked up here. And uh, we want to, we want to try and help our friend more. more to like, the is point that what too, this was missing that everyone got it, that everyone got it. And again, you're, you're talking about a series where it's not uncommon for people to be possessed or replaced or whatever. Like, her acting that far out of character, there, there should have been like a legitimate security concern, if nothing else. But we didn't get it. And then again, there was a big miss there for Neelix to be the emotional friend and and be like, hey, something's really wrong. And I'm not going to let this go because I care about you. So that was disappointing for the script to mishandle him. And as I'm sitting here talking about this, too, it's like, I guess this is just another situation where I find myself missing Kess. I think Kess would have been the right emotional piece to uh to kind of facilitating the problem that she was having and a caring shoulder to to see because obviously tom doesn't give a fuck but uh <laughs> again the show we could have had if we still had Kess instead of uh barbie robot but that's not what we got uh we are do you have anything else to say about this guy no i don't yeah a plus roxanne 
uh, Dawson. Yeah, you did. You did it, girl. Like as usual. C minus ten. C minus Kenneth Biller. I wouldn't say this is a bewildering episode. It wasn't terrible. I don't think. Uh, and again, Kenneth Builder w- Biller has some super turds, but he's—I mean—he's got a lot of goods. I actually had the list. I was looking over because we make a big deal out of him. I got this leftover from uh, Choke Daddy episode, but we're on Extreme Risk. I mean, previous to this was Demon, which was fucking awesome. Random Thoughts, which was batshit insanity. Nemesis was okay. Worst case scenario was great. The funny thing about Kenneth Biller in this. Uh, there's a memory alpha quote from him that he says, ultimately he had mixed um, feelings on it. And he said, you know, I like the story we tell about Balana, but I didn't like the fact that the story was reliant on an earlier story. And I, I thought that was really out of character because usually Kenneth Biller is very self-referential and he's willing to go into Voyager's previous episodes and uh, use you know, name check if not go deep into uh, the experiences that they had. So him saying that her experiences in Hunters being reliant, a, a critical part of what we get here was very uncharacteristic of him. Not his worst, but certainly not one of his his best. Uh, coming up- I, I, I largely agree. It was medium Kenneth Biller um, and buoyed, I think, by some good professional work on the part of the the actors which we don't often say so i'm kind of glad to say it if that makes sense yeah it's crazy looking back i mean he's got some of the just the very best like he <laughs> when you got jatrell faces but then you got like q in the gray then there's the shoot <laughs> then there's before and like it's, and it's, it's he's so fucking it's so bewildering <laughs> That's why, hey, he's got that nickname for a reason, my friend. Very well. What are we watching next week, though? Because I can't wait for you to read this one. Uh, We're going into season five, episode four. In the flesh, we got a very stoic looking Tuvok chilling out at his security tactical console. The crew discovers a simulation of Starfleet headquarters being run by species 8472, the enemy of the previously defeated Borg with the help of the Borg. What? So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Let me get my Kenneth Bewilder list of episodes. <laughs> out I see Extreme so- Rift. It says the next one's 30 days, but this crazy shit says in the flesh. How How is there something this crazy that Kenneth Bewilder did not touch? Remember when I said long time ago that the the mistakes they made with species A four seven two is eventually something they actually try and fix. I would have like figured they, that they there was forget. Like, I, I figured there'd be like a space butthole leaking fluidic space, and they'd be like, "Oh, there's <laughs> terrible damage from like the Borg ripping holes in space time to get into fluidic space." Not a simulation of Starfleet headquarters being run by space mutus. Like <laughs> just feels this wasn't this wasn't what you were expecting. Okay. I mean that's 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 interesting. Okay. That's that's good. That's good. Uh, all right, man. What <laughs> looking we're, forward we're to in, that one. We're in for a, we're in for a treat, my friend. We're in for, you're in for a treat. Bring it. 
All right. Thank you so much to everybody for joining us. Vijay, please. We will see you next week.